0: Welcome to the Growth Cap Podcast, where we chat with CEOs, investors, and other key industry leaders to uncover insights and strategies for accelerating growth and succeeding in business. I'm your host, RJ Lumba. In this episode, we chat with Mike Marini, a 30 year software veteran experienced in growing and scaling enterprise software companies. Mike is the CEO of Workforce Software. A cloud-based labor management platform that empowers employees and managers to digitize time and labor processes, optimize demand-driven scheduling, simplify absence management, and enable strategic business insight. When approached about joining Workforce Software, Mike saw an opportunity for the company to scale globally and attack a $20 billion market. More importantly, Mike saw a path to becoming number one. We hope you enjoy the show. Mike, thank you so much for taking the time. It's a pleasure to chat with you today. You've got a very interesting background. You go pretty far back in the software world. So we'd love to kick off with, maybe for the benefit of our audience, we could hear a little bit about your background. And uh, as part of that, we'll head into uh, workforce software.
1: Great, RJ. Thanks for having me. Yeah, background is interesting because I didn't study IT or software in college. I was actually a petroleum geology major and Tried to play a little football afterwards. I went to Colgate University and we had a great experience there with a great education. And I think when I went, we were the smallest Division 1A program in the country. And then they realigned to the new uh, 1AA, et cetera. And we had a great run, good fun. I had a chance to try afterwards. I went to Buffalo and uh, got cut. I have the prestigious honor of being cut by probably the worst team in the NFL at that time, but we gave it a go anyway. And, And I spent a little time in the USFL with the New Jersey Generals on their taxi developmental practice squad, whatever you called it back then, working out and not getting to play in any games, but gave it a run and then realized that you know, it just was marginal. Gave it a go. It was a great, cool experience. And then had an opportunity, thanks to one of the alumni, to interview it at IBM. And that's where I started my career as a sales guy in New York City and had a good run for a number of years. But, but as I've gotten into that, what you saw was the hardware curve was heading down and the software and services curve was heading up. And so after five years I jumped out and joined one of my solution partners called j d. Edwards, which was a software company on ibm's a s four hundred at the time and and that's where the software world started for me what thirty twenty six years ago, not to date myself. it was a great opportunistic thing to fall into that because, as you know, over the last thirty years, the technology ride has just been magnificent.
0: yeah, I kind of feel like those who were able to land into the software world uh, lucked out I've known many people who really or just you know finding a job after college yeah. and they ended up riding a wave and that wave continues wow. to grow. So you've done some really interesting things where you've uh, as i noticed on your background you've been wow. in different roles and different situations with companies. Where does workforce software stand in terms of a company life cycle and kind of what do you most focus on?
1: Workforce has been crazy. It's been probably one of my most challenging experiences, but also one of my most rewarding experiences. At the time when I jumped into Workforce, I was contacted by Insight Ventures, a big private equity firm, great firm, probably the best PE firm I've ever worked with to the date. And now we have Evergreen Coastal with us, which are amazing as well. But they contacted me because they knew of my background at SAP and Workforce was negotiating a deal for SAP to resell their product. And they said, hey, w- would you help the founder? And I was consulting at the time, working part time, trying to play a little golf, enjoy life a little bit more. Right. And of course, halfway through this, they're like, "Uh, you know, we like your background and we think we really have a diamond in the rough here. Would you consider the the founder wants to work his way out? Would you consider stepping in to run it? And I was like, "Ah, do I really want to I live in New York and Southern California? Do I really want to commute to Michigan to try to retool a, a founder run company after 17 years? But when we looked at the opportunity, and saw what was coming and saw that it was focused on labor management and saw that it was focused on engaging the employee, which was a trend that was coming. And now just opportunistically, as COVID reared its ugly head and companies found that they were not engaged in a way with their employees in a massive work from home shift where the employees felt engaged and needed and wanted, it just turned out to be a huge opportunity for us. So came in. They really had a unique solution. There was a bigger player in the market that I think was sleepier and and not as hungry and not as customer focused. And what we did is we came in and, and saw a great group of people that had great domain knowledge in a very difficult market, which is what we do, the time and compliance and labor scheduling and labor forecasting. It's not simple, but these folks really knew it. And what we needed to do was just modernize the approach and bring some complimentary resources around them that knew how to scale globally, and we could go attack the market. And this is one where you're a number two or number three, and you see a path to be number one, and that path is materializing for us. So it's been really fun and really rewarding for all the folks around us, for the folks who stayed that were existing, and for the people we've brought in to surround the existing folks. And uh, I think we've weathered COVID well. You feel guilty almost that when your business has additional opportunity because of a pandemic. But when you sit back and think, we're helping our customers better serve their employees through a very troubling time. That gets our people motivated to get up and go and make sure we continue to deliver and help the employees that are out there struggling the most around the world.
0: So, and to put this into more context, what are the types of companies we're talking about labor scheduling, labor management? Mm-hmm. What are the segments or sectors that you're most focused on?
1: Yeah, we probably have four or five primary that we do. Retail, of course, was one which got really hard hit. Manufacturing and distribution, companies like Walmart and Procter & Gamble and Rio Tinto, the world's largest mining company. We also play well in the state, local governments. We play well in higher education. We play well in the energy sector. A lot of uh, oil and gas and chem companies that we play well with. There's a lot of folks that have an hourly workforce, that have a labor workforce, that ha- may have different collective bargaining agreements that they have to consider, that have the complex pay capabilities. There are OSHA rules. There are certification rules for you to do a certain role in a manufacturing world. Anybody that has that, in today's terms, it's called the deskless worker. There's 2.7 billion deskless workers coming back to work, quote unquote. And that used to typically just be the blue collar folks. But now with the work from home paradigm, And with the complexities on how you pay the white-collar folks because of new regulations, those folks are moving up into a more complicated way to how you have to pay them and consider time off and and engage with them. And that's made an additional opportunity for a company like us that's in the cloud, that has a flexible solution, that has more of a consumer-grade user experience rather than the typical enterprise software green screen experience for a dated term. And it's provided an opportunity for us in the world's biggest markets.
0: And so when you approached this company or when they approached you and you took a look at the situation and you're evaluating, okay, what can be done here? How do we kind of tweak? What were the things you saw where you could have the most impact so you could maybe reignite kind of this a new growth phase or accelerate the growth? What were the areas that seemed most maybe obvious to you?
1: Yeah, the first thing I looked at was Is there a big market opportunity, right? What is this workforce management, labor scheduling, labor forecasting, time, compliance, absence tracking, all that stuff? How big is that market opportunity, right? And what we saw was a giant market opportunity. It's 20 plus billion globally. And then the next thing I look at is, all right, who are the players and where do we stand? And what I saw was workforce in the cloud, almost 10 years at that time, the biggest player in the market, not in the cloud, not addressing it. And then when you peel back the onion on the product, there's a basic fundamental difference. Most of the products out there, and I don't want to get technical because I'm not the technical guy, but they're more parameter driven and and you got to put pieces in place. But what Workforce had was this engine that sits at the bottom that was a real-time rules engine where even the most complex situations in the field, you could configure what you needed to do rather than having to come back and have a coder do it. So in this time world, more than any that I've played in, where every customer says we're unique, but they are because you could have two companies sitting next to each other that have a state regulation on how they pay their employees, but they could interpret it differently and want it done differently. And you have to have the flexibility to do that. So you want to be able to provide what they need out of the box, 50, 60, 70%, but you also want to have the capability in your technology so that you can make you that unique change for them. So sort of the solution fits their needs. You still want to push best practices and have standards, but there are unique things in this space that we need to be able to do. And when I looked at competitors in the space, nobody had that as the foundation that workforce did. The other thing is, it's really hard. It's not really, even though I say we're bringing sexy back to timesheets all the time to our folks, it's not that sexy, but what it is in our world, we call it sticky. Nobody likes to screw around with how you schedule your employees and how you calculate their pay. So once you do it and you get it in, it's long-term partnerships. So if we do this right, and there were some things we had to do, when you come into a new situation, you had to understand, you had to stabilize. How do we build the product? How do we sell the product? How do we deliver the product? And is it something that I can globally scale? So we spent a couple of years stabilizing, modernizing, how we changing from an old way to build product to an agile methodology, some of the more modern approaches. I brought a new go-to-market leadership team in on how the selling motion and how to better qualify to make sure we're putting our product in the right place. So we spent a couple of years stabilizing. In parallel with that, We started to look at the globalization. We were in 40 or 50 countries at the time. We're now in 80. So how do we globalize and make sure that we can get out of the box right away in a country and get them going with 40 or 50 percent of what they need as we stand up our product right away? And then also in parallel with that, a couple years in, because when you get to a new environment, they're always saying we need a new user experience on front. Well, yeah, you want to get a new user experience, but you have to make sure your foundation is solid first. It's like adding onto your home before you put a foundation on, right? It'll tumble if you don't do it the right way. And so we started innovating on the side. And so we've seen this history of a couple of years of stabilization, globalization in parallel with that. And then in early 2020, we launched our new suite experience with a whole new consumer grade user experience and the timing was perfect. And so it's one of those situations where, all the best laid plans, right? This is one where you do the restructuring, you do the hard work, you re-engage really well with your customers. And oftentimes when, when you do these in the tech world, when you come out of that J curve, the opportunity may have changed, but for us, we're blessed and grateful that as we've come out of that J curve and we're ready, the opportunity has exploded. And we feel we've further distances ourselves from our competitors in how people want to engage today with an employee first experience. (laughs) Typically, enterprise companies bought built software to handle the needs of the enterprise profitability and you have to. But today, if you're not engaging with the employees with Gen X, millennials and Gen Z's that have a different way to engage and want to have a voice and be heard, you're going to have problems. And COVID highlighted that, that, wow, the employees don't feel like they're engaged and understand where the business is going. And we're in an opportunity based on what the work that we've done and the market segment we serve, we can have a real positive impact on that. So it's got our team really, really excited. And we just announced yesterday that we're launching in June, along with a couple other things, a whole new employee communication platform inside our suite that allows companies to better engage with their employees in the way they need to. Micro surveys in the moment hey, you just had an overtime shift. Is this good or is it having negative impact? And they can respond. And because of our platform, the manager knows right away, they need more. I can schedule them tomorrow. Or this is hurting their family time. I need to give that person a break on overtime over the next couple of days when it was unscheduled. So companies can be more responsive. And we got opportunity coming at us now. We have to stay focused and clearly execute as we continue to grow the business.
0: Yeah, there's a lot that's transpired since you you joined there several years ago, and, and that's apparent with all the different moving pieces that you helped kind of stabilize and kind of reinvigorate. As you were describing this, I couldn't help but think this is a hard. Not only is it a challenge to figure out the appropriate strategy and execute on that strategy, but you're also working with people here who maybe some have been there at the company for a long time. Some have maybe kind of adopted a legacy culture what is harder changing or evolving the strategy or evolving the culture
1: oh i think the culture is really tough i think strategy people can get their minds around it but i'm certain that the first 6 months here people had my picture up on the dartboards at home and You know, things like that, because, you know, when a founder runs a business for 15 or 16 years, and it was a pretty successful business, right? He built a foundation that we're accelerating on now. So all the credit to the founder, but there are pockets of the FOF, the friends of the founder, right? And everybody wanted, when we got here, they wanted transparency. I'm completely transparent as a leader, but what some people didn't realize that have only worked for a small inward focused founder run company is with transparency comes accountability, right? And so you have to be smart on the culture. And what we really wanted to do to make sure the culture would come is we wanted to be completely transparent and we wanted to make sure that people understood, here's where we're going, here's the steps we need to do, and here's your role in helping us get there. And by the way, we're going to hold you accountable, but I'm the CEO. Here's what I want you to do to hold me accountable along the way. Be consistent. It can't be the strategy de jour. We have to build a foundational strategy that we're going to execute on. And what we found through the years and where we've gotten positive feedback is we've been consistent. They may not have liked all the decisions we made, but we've explained to them why the decisions we've made were for the good of all 700 employees. And that's why they did it. So, So as a leader... I think the thing that helped me most with the team is the whole methodology, and it's something we've pushed hard, is listen first and talk second. So let's make sure we understand what they're worried about, and let's make sure we articulate how we're going to address that as we move forward. And that's a, you know, as an ex-sales guy and with a dad who raised the sales guy's son, and having been a sales leader a lot of my early career, you always have to educate the folks on it's not the best talkers that are the best salespeople, but it's the best listeners. And if you just listen to what your prospect or customer is saying, you'll understand what they want and need. And so we really do, particularly during COVID, when there was a lot of anxiety, not just work anxiety, but personal anxiety, that listen first mentality of the leadership here, I think really showed our people how much we cared and how much we wanted to make sure that family first, We had to stay focused on our business if we wanted to keep the band together. But if you needed the time to focus on your family because you had, you know, a kid who was melting down from school at home or an elderly parent, take the time to do it and then come back and go get it. So it's about listening. And I think if you listen and engage and show that you are flexible to a decision you made at the time that may change, I think you can get the culture there. And I think we've done that. The biggest indication to me was we've had a number of folks who left early on because they're like, what's going on here, who now have come back, particularly in our engineering organization. And that's for me as a leader that says, okay, they're starting to trust us which is good, and, and that's really important. And, and I understand their concern, because here's this new guy they don't know. There's a new owner. They drop in this guy from who's originally from New York to this nice, humble, Midwestern company. Is this guy just going to be a jerk and ruthless to us, or does he really want to help us build this? So they were testing me, rightfully so, and I had to show that I was consistent and true to my word, and I had to bring the complementary leadership around me that took advantage of the people who were here saying, wow, this guy really knows us. Let's leverage it. Not take advantage, take advantage, but but leverage and partner with the good that was here and complement that with new people that could maybe broaden their vision to a more global scale. Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the main topics of today in the modern business environment is remote work versus in person at the office work. As you were kind of as you think about how you've kind of been able to reinvigorate the company and take over from a legacy culture what's your view what creates kind of the best you know maybe most optimal work environment between yeah. remote and in person
1: i completely miss the conversations in the cafeteria when i would walk around the office you know you miss that engagement but i don't think this work from home paradigm is going to go away i think it's here i think you'll see a balance come We were blessed that, you know, as a technology company, we were pretty ready for it. A lot of our salespeople and consultants and our solution people that demonstrate our product, they're out in the field anyway. So we had to pivot predominantly with the people who are developers, who are used to being in the scrum pods and being together every day and our support people. And so, you know, we did that in about a week. Now we have an advantage because we're a tech company and our IT guys know it. And so we could get people set up. And we've been blessed that we've been able to thrive through it. But I know people are missing it. People are missing the interaction. We're all talking about it today, right? I don't miss the corporate travel. I think my leadership team does because it's given me time to, more time to think. And I've been saying, hey, did you think of this? And so they're like, come on back up. We, we got enough on our plate. But, but I, I think it's going to be a balance. And I think it's done a couple things. I think we thrive through it because I've always been a person that believed in it. You want to get the best athlete no matter where they live. I didn't care whether they're corporate or not. They could come in and visit. I wanted the people that would run through walls with us and be a teammate and have your back. And I think it forced leaders that were uncomfortable with that to learn to trust their employees. And I think the problem with remote is people think, you know, your feet are up all day watching soap operas or something, but you can know very clearly whether people are engaged or not. And I was really proud of our company. I mean, our people just continue to go above and beyond. And by the way, we told them, Look, if you need that hour and a half in the middle of the day, as long as you're not in a critical customer situation, go deal with your kid that's melting down or go see your mom and dad and make sure they're okay. But, but do us a favor, come back later on at night and wrap up what you got to do to make sure our, our number one core value is put the customer first. So make sure if you're working on the customer, make sure you come back and wrap that stuff up. So we continue to deliver the success that we need. So, so I, I think a couple things happened out of it. Number one, it forced businesses to understand, can they really trust their employees? And those that demonstrated they did, I think, were a reward for it. I think the other thing that COVID proved is it brought some humanity back. It made you, you know, we were listed incomparably in as the, one of the top 15 work-life balance companies in the world. And we were put up with companies like Walmart. And so we were proud to be in it because we're nowhere near their size. But it was a balance of, look, trust them you know what you got to do. And it comes to my theme, which came from my dad, which is really be the CEO of your role. No matter what role you play here, act like you're the CEO of that role. And so if you got to go do something because there's an emergency, do it, but make sure you finish the task at hand. So I think it brought humanity back in that. It also brought the humanity back. These situations where you're, you're on Zooms and if your kid used to walk in or your dog barked, people would panic. People don't panic anymore. It's like, hey, this is this is life, man. We're trying to balance this and it's my first pandemic. Like I'm sure it's yours. Mm-hmm. How are we going to get through this? Let's show humanity towards our people because we know everybody's dealing with enough stress, stress that's life or death, which is COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think there's good things, although there's a lot of tragedy. I think if people step back and think about the humanity impact that can come out of this and how it brought people together. And, and particularly during a COVID time when there was so much social uneasiness and so many bad things we saw happen in the social world that, that we have to address with our diversity and equity and inclusion approach, that if we, if we balance those things and don't lose sight of that, those are a marathon and not a sprint, and we stick with it, I think it can have a real positive impact on business and society.
0: A couple questions I'd like to close out the, the interview with as I'm eyeing the clock here and we're coming up on time. One is, can you tell us about a challenging time you faced in your career that was, when you look back at the experience, was very kind of instrumental to how you developed you know, as a person and you know how you lead, potentially lead other people. You know? And it could be something that was in your childhood growing up. It could be something more recent in your professional career really anything at all. Can you tell us about a a challenging time you faced and how you dealt with it? And when you kind of came out the other side of it, you look back and said, you know, I'm kind of proud of that moment and proud of how I, I handled it.
1: Yeah, I think there were many challenges. I was a young father, 22. I had my first kid. My dad swung a hammer for a living had to go make it on my own, right? And so I think there were challenges then on how you provide and you go and you just pick yourself up. And I just got cut from playing football, which was kind of the first setback I've had in my life. And you just pick up your bootstraps and you go and you run through it. And, and so that, that presented a groundwork. And I was raised having to work for my dad's small contracting company. We didn't know you got paid for summer jobs. We thought you did that to live at your house, right? <laughs> so so I, I realized that hard work paid off. And, and I think There were a number of challenges taking risks and careers that did it. But I I don't think and I know it's later in my career, but I don't think that there's been anything that's been more challenging on how to deal with COVID because there is a fear factor of life and death around your community. So you have COVID and then and then you have all the unrest and all the racism and all the things that were exploding in front of us in this great country and and all the scabs we were picking off and all the warts that were being exposed and things that we really need to address. And so I think COVID challenged me the most to step back and say, man, how are we going to do this? And I think it pushed us even more on the front of, man, you got to listen first and talk second. And we changed fundamentally the way we did things. We were very transparent with our people. We went from quarterly business updates to twice a month. I did a video. Whenever we had team meetings, put your cameras on, folks. I need to see your face to make sure you're okay. We changed some of the way we did things. We used to have a gym membership fee. We'd pay for you to be healthy. Well, you can't go to a gym anymore. So we immediately changed that and said, go buy a piece of equipment for your house. You're going to be stuck at home for a while. We'll advance the credit on that. Go home and go do that. You know, go work from home. And if you can't work from home and need to need to get out because your place is too small, go find a place where you can go safely and we'll pay the fee for you to go do that. You know, the things that we needed to do to put the humanity, the flexibility of taking time if your kids were at home. We did simple things like we did story time. I read a Dr. Seuss book at noon to all the employees' kids. Put your kids on the phone for a half hour. You know, little things like that that were never considered at work, never considered a work responsibility that you had to step back and say, okay, how do we make sure our employees understand we know they're dealing with a crisis, but also how do we maintain our business? Because we've got 700 people here and we're not, a, you know, we're a 120 plus million dollar business, but we're not a gigantic business that's going to run for two years without selling more product and keeping our customers engaged. And by the way, we have a bunch of retail clients. Are they going to be able to pay their bills to us? Right. And so. We got very conservative and we did some furloughing and we did some reductions and we explained to everybody why. And the premise was we wanna build, bring this band back together again, as soon as this is done. And and we did it in April and we figured for the remainder of 2020, we're gonna do these reductions. Here's the folks we're gonna furlough. We didn't need telesales people at the time because nobody was taking leads. We're gonna bring those folks back when we're ready. Well, what happened was, our business, after a couple months, we realized people maybe needed us more now, even though we had some retail shops that were shutting down, there were other businesses that needed us. We were able to bring people back quicker. We were able to reinstate salaries quicker. And by the way, the five months where we reduced salaries, we've told them, guess what? In 2021, the first five months of the year, we're going to pay you back those reductions. So the what the, what the people saw was leadership saying, how do we keep the ship moving so we all have a place and a home, but also... How do we make sure we take care of our customers and take care of our employees in the same way? And I think when our employees started to realize that we're not just taking care of our customers, we're taking care of our customers' employees with what we do, just like our company is taking care of us, it just kind of synced. So it's not easy, right? Because you have to tell people, I don't know. People wanted answers and I had to say, I don't know. This is my first pandemic too, but here's the latest information we have. So far, we're okay. Here's what we're going to do. We're preparing for worst-case scenario. And if we beat that, folks, we're going to take care of you. And we were in a position where we were able to pay bonuses. We put raises into the 2021 plan. We paid everybody back the reductions that we took to be safe. And our employee population is flourishing because we're actually adding 200 more employees to our our budget. And in, in, uh, we hired the most employees we ever did in Q1 78 or 79 of the 200, just because we're seeing this focus on the employee in the labor management space really grow. So, so COVID was a challenge. It challenged us both professionally and personally at the same time. And that's the first time I really experienced, because the personal challenge for all of us was life or death. What is going on in this world, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have the social unrest around it. And you're like, oh my God, it's all coming together. And I'm just so proud of the leadership team and everybody who just stuck with it, communicated. We had the difficult conversations and the uncomfortable conversations. And we all worked through it as a team. And so I think that's given us resilience and we're coming out of this strong and focused and we're rocking and rolling. We're, we're, 2020 was actually our best financial year ever. And 2021 is already on track to blow away 2020.
0: Well, leadership is both an art and a science, and, and, and I'll end with this question. Is there someone you've always looked upon as, as a role model? someone who, as you're making a tough decision, you think yeah. about and say to yourself, "What would this person do? Or yeah. how would he or she approach this particular situation? What are the things I should be mindful of in, in, this, in making this decision? Is there someone who comes to mind yeah. and, is, and who's helped kind of guide you?
1: Look, I've been really lucky. I've had a number of mentors that paid it forward. Larry McTavish is a guy in the business. Unfortunately, he's passed away. He helped me a lot. But the biggest one is my dad. It was an influence from, I know a lot of people may say that, but it's crazy. He had an expression, It it materialized into my listen first, talk second, and be the CEO of your role. He had an expression, which was listen, and we all had to work for him. And man, it was tough. I have three older brothers and a twin sister, and she never worked for him, but but we all had to. Digging ditches, swinging a hammer, carrying sheetrock, all the stuff you did. And he had an expression was, listen, boy, when you get in a new situation, keep your eyes and your ears open and your mouth shut and understand. But once you understand, make a decision and be decisive, but don't be so decisive that you're arrogant. Be humble enough to know that if you get better information, you may have to adjust your decision. And I think that's the foundation of what's built me as a leader, which is to listen, be empathetic to the people, but know you have to be decisive and know it's fair for somebody to say, why did you make that decision? And I have no problems explaining to people why I've made the decisions I've made and that why we believe that's in the better good for all 700 people that work here and our customers, not just one group of people. And I think really that's the foundation, the hard the work ethic. But challenging to listen first and go later is, you know, I sit around tables with a lot of leaders that I'm peers to, and they want to be the first to speak in these meetings. And I think if they just take a breath and sit back and listen, I think it helps. And I think your people really appreciate that. And I think being empathetic and being able to say, you know what, you're right. I was leading down this direction, but you came with that new information. I'm good with your approach. Let's do it. You don't have to win them all, even if you're the leader. You want your people to win them. Right, and you you get success by your leadership team's success and theirs team's success, and and those humble leaders that can do that, I think, doesn't make you weak. I think it makes you stronger, quite frankly. If you are if you're vulnerable, and that's vulnerability, right? Get caught up in it and be be open and and be willing to change your mind uh, because you listened more and you heard what the market needed or your people needed, and you adjusted what you were thinking. So you know that may be cliche, but he was he was the patriarch. He's a little First generation Italian immigrant of my grandparents were off the boat, and this guy built his own business and took care of five of us, and we never knew what we had or didn't have, right? But we did know we had to build our own legacy, and and that hard work would get it done, and I don't think there's any better foundation than that. I mean, my kids would say, why do we have chores? Well, I said, you have chores because you need chores. Go do them. My friends don't have chores. I don't care. I had chores. You have chores, right? So, um, you know, it was a great family dynamic we had, and uh, we miss them.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great note to end on. You'd be surprised how many folks, no matter how successful they've become in this tech world, point back to kind of some of these, you know, really fundamental experiences where it's a role model that's nowhere near the tech world. You know, it's a role model that kind of gave you just some very practical, sound advice growing up. So, Mike, really appreciate you taking the time. This has been a, a wonderful conversation, and I know our uh, audience will find this very insightful. So, thank you.
1: Well, thanks for having me, RJ. I wish you great success. Cheers, bud.